So uh, today we're continuing with our series on Healthy Church. Uh, specifically, we are right now in this brown puzzle piece leading one another, and we have covered all the puzzle pieces except for that one and growing one another, which is discipleship. We'll be covering that after we finish up with leading one another. Um, if you have not been here, maybe you're a guest or you haven't been here for all the series that have taken place beforehand, you can uh, get those on podcast, SoundCloud, Google Play. So if you want to catch up with that and sort of get up to speed to where we are to this point, please avail yourself to that resource. So we do record these um, for your benefit so you can uh, go back and listen to those. The title this week is Elders, Ministers of the Word and Shepherds of the Church. Uh, my name is Brian. If you don't know me, I'm one of five teachers in this class. And uh, this is week three, so we've in, uh, covered two weeks previously. Week one, uh, Pastor Brian and Sean uh, talked about God is the one who grants authority. And it's God who designed and installed authority within the church. So authority is not a bad thing. It's actually a good thing. Week two, last week, Adam unpacked Ezekiel 34, which discussed how shepherds or the spiritual leaders in Israel's time were not properly feeding and caring for the people. So there, there is an example in Ezekiel 34 of what bad leadership looks like. But God promises in Ezekiel 34 to give us a new shepherd, a good shepherd. And of course, that points to, to Jesus. So as mentioned before, leadership is important. And we see it in every aspect of our lives, whether it's our government, whether it's our jobs, uh, any area of our life, it can be people that are in authority in school. Um, bad leaders take people down bad paths. But good leaders, and in this particular instance, what we're discussing, church leaders, can direct us and point us to Christ. So this week we'll be discussing elders and what God's Word has to say about the manner and characteristics of the way they are to care for the sheep. So next week, just to, to, to let you know, next week we're going to be talking about the actual qualifications of elders, and the Bible has a lot to say about what their qualifications are, but this is going to be more about characteristics. So I wanted to go a little old school here, um, so I'm not as handy with an iPad as some of the other people that teach here. Um, so I do have a whiteboard up here, so we're going to go whiteboard, but I have some... Uh, discussion questions for us today. And just like last week, we're going to do a lot of discussion. So I ask for your input. Please be uh, open to sharing with us today. Um, so the first, it's actually two questions, but what do churches typically expect their pastors to do? And then sort of the converse of that is, do you think there's anything churches typically expect from a pastor that they shouldn't? So I know the study is about leadership and elders, but specifically in the Bible, it talks about elders, pastors, and overseers. And so I just want to remind you, and I believe Pastor Brian and Sean talked about this first week, but they're interchangeable. It's the same position within the church as far as uh, biblically speaking. So first question is, what do churches typically expect their pastors to do? Preach. Good. Lead. Lead how? 
by example. Good. Teach. By the way, I dictate for a living, so don't don't criticize me for my handwriting. <laughs> Communicate with the body. Okay. Counsel. Okay. Go ahead, Daryl. Dave, we'll come back to you. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna say that that's lead by example. It's very similar to what you're talking about. I think there, Dave. Okay. All right. So, how about we just put down they care for people. These are all great. Any other thoughts? Okay, pray. So they're prayerful. Mm, yeah. That's it. You know what I meant. <laughs> Okay, so they can teach God's word. They're not a novice when it comes to God's word. They know God's word. Any other thoughts? Dave? Okay. Run out of space. Dave? So that's, that's sort of like a characteristic of, it's not necessarily an action, but it's a, it's a characteristic in a way in which they would do some of these things. Sure. All right, let's go to should, shouldn't expect. Are there things that we would ask of a pastor or think maybe we would expect out of a pastor that we shouldn't. 
What's that? Perfection. Oh, that's good. Okay. All right. Those are great. So, sort of along the lines of be, be all things, but too much responsibility. Go back to, sorry about that. Go back to, uh, you know, this one maybe. Some some of these are. Understand, right? So, any other thoughts? How about this one? business manager. Sometimes do we ask a pastor or think of them that like they're going to be running a corporation, like they're going to be super business manager. Um, Yeah, I gotta figure out how to write that in the reverse. Shouldn't expect them to be unaccountable. That's good. Yeah, I'm, you know, that's something for discussion of whether or not that's something that should be there or shouldn't be there. Uh, what does the Bible have to say about that? Does the Bible say for an elder or a pastor or an overseer that they should be a good administrator? I, my, my question is, does that fall or does some of that fall under what I just talked there about business manager? Um, I don't know. That's why this is called discussion time. 
not expect our pastor to be duplicated. We should expect our pastor to be That was one of mine. Th thank you. But I was going to say entertainer or popular, right? A lot of pastors out there that can preach a really good word that's entertaining and tickles people's ears. But is that what we want? Is that just what we should want? So I'm not going to write entertainers in there. I don't have space. Along that line, how about this one? I mean, you want somebody who has the gift of preaching and teaching, but sometimes we look at eloquence as one of those things that we expect out of a, a pastor. Should we expect eloquence? Was Paul eloquent? So, okay, those are all really good. Um, so we're going to move forward here with our main idea. So... Our main idea today is that elders are called to lead the church by teaching God's word, shepherding the flock one by one, and serving as examples of godly character. So what we're basically getting at is the calling on the heart of an elder and what it should look like, and how should their actions manifest that calling in a way, in the way they interact with the body of believers. So. We have two main texts today. If you have that handout, I have those printed out there for you. Obviously, you can follow along with the screen. And our first one is 1 Peter 5, 1 through 5. So let's read it, and then we're going to have some discussion questions on it. <clears throat> Excuse me. So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, and not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. And likewise, you who, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another, for God op opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So our first discussion question is, in looking at this passage, what are the positive directives Peter gives to the elders? What should they be like? Okay. Shepherds. They should shepherd the flock. That's the first one that he gives. And we're going to get to the negative, by the way. So I'm looking right now for the positive. I'm sorry, you said witness? Well, I think that's Peter talking about um, himself as the witness of the suffering of Christ. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, willingly. So we see that there in the uh, second verse, willingly, eagerly. Right, so that the negative is not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Okay. Or to be overseers. Exercising oversight. Mm, yeah. Verse 5, with humility. Examples to the flock. What are the ways that an elder should not shepherd the flock? I can't. Not in a domineering way, right? Verse 3. Right? Not in a proud manner. Yeah, not under compulsion. What does that mean? Forced? Not doing it because of false guilt. Someone told you you have to. So you're not doing it for wrong motives. You're doing it for the right motives. Yeah. Somebody mentioned this before, but not for shameful gain, right? So we see that in 1 Peter 5 that Peter tells us, don't shepherd like this. And don't expect out of your shepherds that they should be acting under compulsion, but they should be willing. They shouldn't operate out of shameful uh, motivations or for uh, selfish monetary reasons, but they should do so eagerly. They shouldn't be domineering over those in your charge, but instead they should be examples to the flock and with humility. So we'll see that in our next text, which is in Acts 20, uh, verse 17, in the example of Paul. Now, this is a long one, um, but we are going to read it, and then we're going to break this up into three sections, and then we're going to uh, have discussion questions specifically on, on this portion of Scripture. So, Acts 20, 17 through 35. Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves saw how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, 
serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my, li- and count my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among you, your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish every one with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who were sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Whew. Okay. (laughs) It's a long one. So like I said, we're going to break this down into three sections and uh, then look at what characterized Paul's ministry among the, the Ephesians. So the first section is verses 17 through 23. So in looking at that, what do you see that Paul, as he brought the elders to him, this is the last time he was going to see them. He knew what was awaiting him, and he wanted to give them sort of, these, these are my parting words, think of that, uh, you know, the, the emphasis of I want to leave with you as I, as I go away. Um, so what, what was he discussing with them about his ministry and what characterized his ministry? Yeah, humility. Right there, verse 19. Right? So he was bold, no fear. Oh, okay, a couple people said something. What'd you say? Yes. He had a heart for repentance, to see people come to know the Lord, to walk in repentance and faith. I'm sorry. 
Okay? Yeah, he's willing to suffer for Christ. Yeah, so we saw see that um, he would teach, right, God's word in public and house to house. Yeah. Constrained by the Spirit, but obedient. To the spirit. Yeah, that's a good point. So, it says that you know how I lived among you. I mean, he was among the people. It wasn't, well, though, I'm an elder. I'm going to step back and, and be a leader who doesn't approach you or whatever, but he lived right among them. Yeah. Um, how I did not shrink from telling you the truth, right? So to your point, you know, he, he wasn't a people pleaser. He didn't shrink away from sharing the truth of God's word, even if it didn't tickle ears. So one more, and then we're going to move to the next portion. Um, that example part of our main idea says, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time. He, he lived as an example, the life in front of them. So they saw all this uh, in front of them. Okay, so we're going to move on to uh, verses 24 through 31. Same question. Uh, in this portion of the passage, what characterized Paul's ministry among the Ephesians? Okay, they were big contributors, so <laughs> they're going to the zone. Um, so in this portion of the passage, what, what are you seeing that characterized Paul's ministry among the Ephesians? Unselfish. Where do you see that? Okay. So he lived unselfishly.
Yeah, so this was something that was, you know, going back to that eager or uh, the motivation, but he did it day and night. So verse 31 um, says, I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. So this was a daily thing. This wasn't just one Sunday every week. This was something day by day that he did. I'm sorry? So he's just he's discipling. Yes. And um, yeah, to your to your point here, um, he's telling these elders to, you know, he's giving them warnings and encouragement and direction. Like he's he's telling them what it's going to be like after he leaves, but he's encouraging them to be on guard. Right. Yeah. So in verse 27, he says he declared the whole counsel of God, right? So even the things that were maybe not popular, he didn't step back and say, I'm only going to talk about things that would be, again, getting to that tickling of ears thing or that people-pleasing thing, but he would teach the whole counsel of God, not just the things that people wanted to hear. Just because of time, we're going to move on to the third portion, which is Acts 20, verses 32 through 35. So, in this portion of the passage, what characterized Paul's ministry? Yeah, he getting to that not operating for shameful gain. He he worked to provide for himself. What did he do for others? He built them up. Verse 32 says he was building them up. How about verse 34? Mm 
Yeah. He took care of his necessities and ministered to other people's needs. So getting, I think you said about being unselfish, but he was ministering and taking care of other people's needs. Help the weak. And so he says in all these things, he served as an example of Jesus' words that it's more blessed to give than to receive. So he was a giver. He had a generous heart, and he cared for the weak. And he cared to minister to people. Um, but all these things that we see here, what is this suggestion about his interaction with the, with the people? Was he distant, or was he among them? Is So, I think that's great. And for people that couldn't hear what Tiff said, he was relational. So, this is not someone who just comes in, preaches, and then heads out. But he lived among them. He's relational. He's touching them. He's having interaction with them. He's, he's there with them in their homes. So, he's not a distant uh, person to them. He's He's loving and caring for them in a close way, in an intimate way. So I'd like to draw the, just sort of the correlation that we see between 1 Peter 5, 15, uh, 5, 1 through 5, and Paul's life example in Acts 20, 17 through 35. So we saw in 1 Peter 5, 1 through 5, that Peter said to set an example of godliness to the flock in verse 3 of 1 Peter 5. And you see in Paul's statement to the elders, he says, you know how I lived among you. So you saw my life. You saw my example that set before you. In 1 Peter uh, 5 verse 2, it says, diligently shepherd the flock. And we see in, in Paul. Uh, Paul's example in verse 20 of Acts 20 that he taught in public and homes and declared everything that was profitable to the people. So he was diligent in his, the manner in which he uh, interacted with the body, with, the, with his flock. Willingly and not under compulsion in, in 1 Peter 5 verse 2 and you see in Paul's life in verse 31 of Acts 20 that day and night he admonished with tears. So that's not a person who's just doing something under compulsion because they have to. If they're doing something day in, day out, they're in people's homes day in, day out, that's not someone who's being forced to do something. That's somebody who is doing something because they're eager and willing to uh, provide and feed the flock. We see in 1 Peter 5, 1 through 5, that... Uh, an elder should not operate for selfish gain, but eagerly. 
and Paul's life example in verses 34, 35, we see how he worked to support himself and provided for others. So again, Paul didn't operate for selfish gain, but he did so eagerly. And then finally, uh, in 1 Peter 5, verses 3 and 5, it says, not to be domineering, but elders should act with humility. And Paul's life example, we see in verse 19 of Acts 20, that he served with all humility and with tears. So, first, in 1 Peter, we see Peter's words of what it looks like or what it should look like as, a, as an elder, as someone who's pastoring and leading a church. And we see that Paul's life example fully set forth that as he was leading by example to the elders that he was departing from and saying, this is how you're supposed to live this is how you're supposed to, to lead your flock. So I wanted to leave you with this because uh, uh, Jeremy Rennie wrote this book. This book is back there, uh, and that's what we're uh, essentially working through is a lot of notes from his book. But in Chapter 2 of Jeremy Rennie's uh, book, Church Elders, uh, he says this. Whatever we imagine, and that's speaking about uh, elders or shepherds, there is probably at least one common feature, our mental, feature to our mental screenshots. In all of them, the shepherd is among the sheep. He's not off somewhere else. He is walking in the midst of the animals, touching them and speaking to them. He knows them because he lives with them. And as a result, he even smells like sheep. So I like that picture of, you know, an elder or a shepherd should smell like sheep. He's relational. And if you think of Jesus in the context of what his life example was, when he came, he was among the people. He was always among the people. And he was always touching people's lives, whether or not, uh, and it was, it was not just whether or not who they were, what station of life they had, but whether it was a person with leprosy or a tax collector or any particular uh, particular vocation, he didn't care, but he was among the people, he was touching them, he was interacting with them, he was in their homes, and he did it day by day. So, an elder should smell like sheep. Our main idea, elders are called to lead the church by teaching God's word, shepherding the flock one by one, and serving as examples of godly character. Next week, uh, we're going to be discussing the qualifications of elders, so hopefully uh, you can come. Thank you.